What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Apartment 113 podcast, where we talk with cool folks in the cannabis and psychedelics industry to learn about their projects and celebrate their successes. My name is Rob Sanchez, and this is episode 13. We're joined today by David Flugel, a certified ganjier and insightful cannabis advocate. David has a lifetime of cannabis experience and helps others to consume and cultivate a therapeutic relationship with the plant. Enjoy the show. David, welcome to the show, man. It's good to have you on, and I mean, I'm happy you could join me this uh, a little bit early morning for me in Vegas, but you're up and rocking already. Rob, I, you know, it, it's great to have the opportunity to hang out with you again. Um, I, I had a blast when we were in California doing our, uh, doing our Ganjay certifications, and you know, I, I appreciate the opportunity to share a little bit of what we're doing as Ganjays, and it, as well as the, you know, the opportunity to kind of uncover some of the <laughs> uncover some of the mess we've made as a culture in the last 50 years. Yeah, yeah. Before we started recording, we were just touching on that uh, that imprint on the psyche, the the stigma of cannabis that the Ganji A program is really doing their work to to try and clear, or at least find advocates for clearing that. Um, how did you find your way into the Ganji A world, or what was kind of your pre legal cannabis industry experience? Well, you know, I, I was introduced to the plant when uh, when I was probably seventeen, uh, so thirty, you know, thirty. 30 years ago um and i initially my my you know initially it was something my friends and i did it wasn't you know it wasn't a big thing um until i realized that it, it was it was the one thing that kind of helped me start calming myself down uh, i was an underachiever child of overachiever parents my, my my folks had me on a path for medical school and and and, and big big things um i mean i hell i they started i started taking the sats in the eighth grade and this is and this is back in the 80s, mind you, before, b- before the focus on, uh, on, on matriculation was really what it, what, what it is today. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different cultural you know, vibe. And I, I mean, my, 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 I was a stressed out high school student. It sounds like they were pushing you hard. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I, I, was, I ended up in a, 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 a high school program, a Louisiana School for Math, Science, and the Arts. It was one of the early iterations of the magnet schools. And it, it was a residential okay. program. Right. So it was, it, it, and that was, you know, that, that was part of my introduction with, with, with the whole cannabis thing because I finally found something that would calm me down. Now, unfortunately, I have a tendency to be a, I'm a little bit of a serial hobbyist. When something interests me, I, I go down the rabbit hole pretty hard. Oh, you and me both. <laughs> so that's, that's how it started, huh? Yeah. Learning more about cannabis and I, I, getting I, deeper. I got excited about it when I got to college. I didn't do great at college, but I did great at cannabis. Um, and, you know, the, the, you know, the challenge was, you know, later on down the road, I, I mean, the, the, the path that cannabis led me to, the people that it led me to, um, were some of the most exceptional human beings in my life. And, you know, I ran myself into a, into a wall, essentially, um, going down the rabbit hole. You know, I, I got myself in trouble with the law in Oklahoma in probably in the late 90s. And, you know, when the feces hit the oscillator, uh, you know, I, I, I remember sitting there going, you know, if, if I can get out of all this shit, if I can get my shit sorted out, what I really would like to do is just, you know, and mind you, this is in the hill country of Oklahoma. My big plan was to get, get some earth moving equipment and trench out some hills and back some, we, we, I knew where to get uh, repurposed school buses. We were going to, we were, we were going to build hydro, we were going to build hydro setups in school buses buried under a hill. Nice. I've seen the train, I've seen the train car or yeah. the shipping container version of that. That's a, <laughs> we, we had access to surplus school buses and, and we and I had some buddies in construction so we were pretty comfortable with being able to reinforce them or structurally structurally support them and still bury the suckers wow <laughs> yeah that would have been a, quite an undertaking there man and, uh, uh, but by the time I did get clear of, of, of all the debris that my, my bad decisions had created um, I, I actually was I, I was in recovery um, I, I you know I, I got I, I had to get myself clean period to get my head straight I mean I was a mess I was I was a hot mess I was yeah just had to kind of clear the slate a little bit and reassess huh you know I, I went to work for Panera bread 
um, when, I, when I got out, I, I actually ended up running their training department, which always tickled the shit out of me. I'm like, here, you know, here I am, you know, a, a glorious reprobate, and I'm teaching these kids how to adult. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, and, helping them take their first steps in, uh, into, the, into the company and helping everyone learn the ropes, well, I, huh? I, hell, I trained managers. I mean, I, I, ah. I, you know, from, from top to bottom, I opened 19 stores for them. Um, wow, I, I okay. Mean, when, when, when I got on board with Panera initially, I was, I was kind of trying to get out of the restaurant business because I was over it. I mean, I've, I'd done everything in the restaurants from five-star dining to places you would not want to take your friends. Um, I mean, I worked with Emeril Lagasse in the 90s. At, at his flagship restaurant, and don't don't get me wrong, I wasn't a I wasn't a, a star chef. I was I was a runner. I worked in the kitchen. It turned out that cannabis led me to his sous chef. Uh, we became very good friends, and he got me a job working for Emerald. Wow, um, that's awesome. The connections <laughs> there. <laughs> We're still buddies, man. I I, I haven't. Yeah. I honestly have not kept in touch with Andre as well as I should have. Um, he's out in New Mexico now, and and honestly, from what I from what I gather from from a mutual friend. He's basically doing t- doing his thing as a as a cannabis chef and a, and a cannabis consultant. Wow, that's great! I know that, and I think it's New Mexico and Arizona that have like very open chef, cannabis chef kind of laws. You can Absolutely. get infused pizzas and infused euros and sandwiches, stuff yeah. that you can't quite get in Vegas yet. <laughs> they've, al- they've allowed a lot more a lot more flexibility, I think, for the development of the landscape there. But you know that the the Panera path, honestly, and as as crazy as it sounds. Going through recovery, I mean, hell, I chaired NA meetings for a lot of years, and I'm, I still consider myself in recovery. I, I'm 23 years clean as of last October. I'm cannabis active. I, I, I'm most assuredly cannabis active, but I'm not in addiction, right. you know. And, right. and and I'd be, you know, I'd, I'd be because addiction is not a based on my understanding. Well, I'm gonna stay out of that rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> That's it, a whole that, other that, podcast episode. <laughs> it is, and you know, it's an interesting one when you start to cross the lines with with substance abuse disorder. And, and, and cannabis is medicine. It, it, that, that's a you know th- that's a whole crazy ass landscape by itself. But it's a weird line to walk there, man. And the on the moderation side and the understanding. Well, and you know, to, to quote Saint Thomas Aquinas, um, moderation in all things, including moderation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Knowing when to moderate. But the uh, you know, Panera and, and and NA, honestly, those the precepts that they kind of helped reinforce in, in, in my, you know, in being an adult and living my life, whatever, growing up finally, um, are what led me to the Ganjier program. You know, I started, when, when I did get THC active, when, when I, hell, I did about a year and a half, two years worth of research on CBD before I was even willing to step over that line because I did not want to go back to what, what, you know, the life I had lived when I, when I was, when I was in, in active addiction. I was a mess. I was an absolute mess. Yeah. And so... Being able to do that research, though, you were able to find enough support or find the folks that oh. you needed to to connect and and be willing to try it, huh? Not not just find the you know not just find the research, Rob. You know what I started to do, you know, and, and it, you know, I started doing a little bit of research. It reminded me of a book I'd read years ago uh, by a fellow named Jack Herrer. Um, so I picked up another copy of that. And said, you know, I might need to go through this again. I started looking at uh, you know I started looking at not just you know the the stories that were being told, but also the stories that weren't being told. You know. I was, you know, I was fortunate enough to be coming back into the space in a time when, you know, there was legalization in, in almost half the states in the country. And so I was able to look at some things a little differently, uh, most assuredly, than I had 18 years ago. And it, and it made some, it, 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 it kind of set, it, it, it set a little bit of a fire under my ass. Hmm, kind of seeing the new landscape or how, how the industry was getting started, planting these seeds. I've always been a big big fan of the, uh, the, the, the the homily, make it better, leave it better than you found it. I mean, I was a scout. I was a Boy Scout as a kid, man, and that's what they taught us. You go in the woods, leave it better than you found it. You know, that yeah, exactly. That, that doesn't mean build a fucking birdbath. Sorry, pardon my language. Um, <laughs> oh, all good. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I think that I didn't make it to the Eagle Scout level, but I was working my way up that ladder for a while. Life. I made it to life. I, I did not complete Eagle because I, I ran out of time. I mean, I was having, I was also having fun and and actually doing the things that scouting is about, not just chasing the merit badges. Right. Yeah. There's some uh, some perseverance at the end of that path, but there there are some great lessons to learn there about nature and um, and hobbying, figuring things out for yourself on the craft side and the hobby for side. The world, you know, tre- treating Definitely. people with respect. And even though the scout or as an organization has gone through some pretty awful shit, um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I mean, let's let's be honest. That's 
That is based on the actions of, of some individuals who made bad decisions and did terrible things. That's not based on the guiding, the, the guiding precepts of an organization that's helped a lot, of, you know, a lot of folks become better humans. Yeah, totally. I, 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 I can respect that. I came up through scouts and didn't have any issues with, with anything, man. Selling popcorn and doing pine car derbies, going ah, camping. No. I mean, worst wor situation <laughs> we had in scouts was when uh, our, our scoutmaster decided we needed to work for our dinner. So we, we were on a weekend camp out. He opens up the back of his truck and said, you boys hungry? Said, hell yeah, we're hungry. Look at us. He opens a cage and about 20 chickens dive out and head into the woods. He says, you better catch your dinner, son. Um, oh. <laughs> oh, man. I, I wish the hell we would have had video cameras back then. And, and honestly, I wish I'd had a big doobie because that would have been a blast. It's so um, funny. Yeah. Watching 12 kids run after their chickens in the forest. It was madness. <laughs> it was absolute madness, dude. One guy got knocked out. He was trying to chase chicken under a tree. Uh, nailed himself right in the head. It was, I mean, it, it was Adam Sandler level idiocy. Yeah, I could just picture running around with that music, that kind of slapstick music. And, and that was, honestly, that was initially that, uh, some of the guys from my scout troop, those were the guys that I initially was introduced to cannabis with. So, you know, that association for me wasn't, um, you know, I, I went to a dark alley and I had to, you know, I had to score some weed. It, it really was an, a, an organic part of growing up for me. Yeah. And, you know, when I circled back to it 18 years later, I was able to start, you know, and, and I mean, look, to keep my, to keep myself clean, to keep my, my own head out of my ass, you know, I, I'd reinforce some, I'd reinforce some stigma, I guess, on myself. And <laughs> just to kind of keep yourself back in line or make sure you didn't step over and get Putting in, up into artificial extremes. guardrails to help, to help me learn how to act like an adult. There's probably some argument for that and in uh, the validity there, at least in the beginning or at least during times of change or indecision. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, it, it's, you know, so, some of it is as a human being, you know, our brain's the most powerful tool we have. Period. It is also the one we understand how to use the least. Um, you know, and, and we spend, you know, we spend our entire lifetime from point A to point B trying to figure out where somebody put the fucking directions on. Right. Searching around, tr thinking we've got it straight and then realizing we've been going experts, in the wrong direction. You know, licking toad butts, <laughs> you know. What you <laughs> yep. That's the far ends of the spectrum right there. <laughs> well, you so the guardrails. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the, the time spent training and like dealing with corporate uh, kind of corporate rules corporate process and, and, definitely does something for folks i mean i've been in the corporate realm before and i know that meeting process yeah there's something about it though that helps you to roll out process or implement organizational change though outside of that that's it, it, kind of a hidden benefit you it think well it absolutely well and it, rob i mean perspective wise I, as a as a director of training for panera you know, I was I was pretty much ass deep in every development initiative we had. Um, you know, I, I, I was you know I worked for a franchisee, but you know we we were considered at least according to what they told us that we were considered one of the top operating franchises in the country, especially in our size range. We weren't a big ass franchise; we were midi, you know, kind of kind of a mid size. But you know, operationally, we we nailed it. I mean, we were one of the reasons Panera had the had the reputation they did. I mean, and, and part of that was focus on guest service. You know, making sure that you put first things first, making sure that you're, you know, you, you can't make a product any better than your inputs. So Panera went upstream and started sourcing inputs that were levels of scale beyond what you would walk into you know, a, a competitor and get. I mean, at one point they did some supply chain stuff that was so innovative that the, the chief supply chain officer was getting industry awards for it. So I mean, they were really pushing the envelope on like, on like and, restaurant experience or on on food and, Fresh and training dough huh? coming into those cafes every day they had to have an infrastructure in place to make portion and deliver this dough and get it there in temperature control otherwise your dough shot and so when the, the logistical undertaking that was involved there was quite was, a supply chain was yeah. ridiculous but you know the, the crazy part was I kind of grew up in, inside that inside that Panera concept as it as it grew. So that was kind of the way my brain was was being molded, if you will. And coming out of that, when we did you know we did store openings. So the when we were doing brand new you know when we were opening new cafes in South Louisiana, as an example, the goal was not to hey let's get this place open and start making some money. The goal was always about introducing ourselves. And you know I, hmm. that when. That was why I stayed with Panera as long as I did. When they started shifting gears and the accountants took over, I started looking for something else 
because it didn't, that did not align with who I am. Um, and and, and it, was, it wasn't consistent. And I see. Yeah, I the, the numbers to start to take control of the, the business a little bit more than the, the passion or the, the, any I, virtue that was there. I, uh, you know, but between my, you know, starting, starting to be kind of, you know, THC active again and, 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 and cannabis active, looking at CBD notably, especially, I, I'm a huge advocate of the CBD, CBG piece of the puzzle, because as much as I love THC, we as a culture really don't do a great job balancing the scales in general. Yeah, um, THC is easy to go out of balance, just it's on turning the, the fire hose it's, on it's, the endocannabinoid system to our demand for immediate gratification. You know? Yeah, and, right. And, and honestly, given that we didn't really have any scientific methodology available at the time, it was what we knew about. Hey, this makes me feel better. I can cope with all the bullshit that life in, in, inevitably comes up with during the course of a given 24-hour cycle. This <laughs> makes it easier. Give me some of that. So Yeah, it was pretty like common, common knowledge or just more like street science well, and I mean, street understanding. And, you know, you had breeders out there that, I mean, legitimately were trying to apply things like, you know, Punnett squares and Mendeleev type breeding, genetic, you know, genetic scaling to, to their projects. You had a lot of guys out there that were just going, man, that's some good shit. Let's do that again. And, yeah, this and, one and, smells great. <laughs> and some of them intuitively were doing amazing things. And, and some of them, you know, scientifically were doing amazing things. And some of them in both cases were doing, you know, absolute garbage. But, you know, that's, that's, that's the path. I but think some you, of that garbage made its way to Kansas while I was younger. You know it did. You know it did. It damn sure made it down to Louisiana, man. Um, and, I, and, I, and I'm not sure if it came in on top of or under the river, but it came in. Yeah. Um, but, you, you know, we, we started to, you know, as we started to open up the landscape, and God bless, uh, you know, Dr. Dr. Mishulam, um, you know, it, you know it, I, I, it hurt my heart to hear that he passed, but, you know. He really started that that drive and was able to, you know, take those tentative steps into yeah, legitimate him, cannabis research. Yeah. It's he, wild. He was, a, you know, he, he, he opened up so many, you know, he opened up so many paths for people to start looking into, you know, looking into the window and start looking at going, okay, well maybe what I was told wasn't accurate. Um, I mean, his, you know, his research on the, you know, on the ECS set, set the groundwork for everything that's happening today, basically. So isn't it pretty strange that we didn't know about a bodily system for so long, like the respiratory system, the endocrine system, and then it's like, oh, the endocannabinoid system. What a <laughs> record stop, right? Record scratch. It, it, you know, the hilarious part to me is the fact that it's named after the plant because we found it so fucking late. <laughs> you know, right. We found right. the we have plant the, first, so we had to name it. Yeah, we had to name the endogenous cannabinoids, so the, the ones created within the body and, and for the system. I right, think like Mishulam also coined the, uh, yeah, and Mishulam discovered or hit one of his labs discovered an andamide. And two a, I think 2AG as well. I think he, yeah. he they, they did all the, they did all the groundwork on that. It's, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, like a monumental figure for cannabis science and cannabis history, coining the entourage effect, just really rolling out some of these terms that we're still trying to figure out today from a scientific perspective. Uh, and, and you know, to, to take that one step further, Rob, you know, co coining the term started to give us the language to have the conversation. And that, that you know, as, as pedantic as that may sound, that's huge. Yeah, um, right. You can't quite, can't quite critique something or really discuss it thoroughly without having the vernacular or be ready, ready to use that language. Huh? Have a cohesive conversation if you don't have a, a, a common means of communication and, and having, you know, having ter terminology, language, you know, you, it's. It, it's all part of that landscape, right? And I know. Have you heard it, of a linguistic relativity? I haven't, but I love the idea. It's it's a trippy idea, man. The thought behind linguistic relativity is that when I say these words right now, they're shaped with my past experiences, and my intent, and my my understanding of the English language. I'm just hoping that your understanding is is close, and and that's like a gap that we're always crossing. Um, and it's interesting thinking about that. If you ever have trouble communicating with somebody, uh, kind of what's being uh, missed in the in between the lines. You know, it, it, it's but that's where the value comes in in, in cultivating relationships. Because as you, if you're going to have that conversation, I mean, at, at their core, all relationships are extended conversations. Period. I mean, that, that's what that is what a relationship is. It is a series of extended conversations over a time frame. 
And that creates a shared reality, if you will, that, you know, that, that and, kind of and the, builds that stage where the context, norms are established. Man. Yeah. So, so, you know, when you're, when you're talking about a certain set of things, it, it, you know, that, that initial, that, that precursor conversation is already in play. So, and that's, you know, that's part of the reason you see it, that it's pursued so aggressively, I think, in, in the corporate or the business structure world, why terminology becomes so, you know, becomes so precise because you know, they're, they're trying to make sure they minimize the potential for gap when there's money involved. Yeah, they're trying to reduce that linguistic relativity as as best they can. (laughs) Maybe not always for the best. (laughs) You know, there's there's value in that when you're when you're trying to do life on scale. If you're trying to live life on life's terms, it's a little easier to you know make time for the conversations generally. Right. Find out those gaps on your own and 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 connect. The the corporate jargon can. it never ends. I'm part of all kinds of like agile and product management kind of initiatives. And in that world, there's so much jargon that they're ready to throw down as the guidelines. But kind of what you were saying, even on, on life, they really are just the guidelines. It's a framework. And after you understand that, the, some of the jargon can go away. But because now you have that in your, like in your vernacular or in your experience, you're working differently and you can have a different conversation oh, yes. about a sprint goal or about agility and software. It does, it does actually work as dry or pedantic as it, as it could be. <laughs> no, no, it, it, it completely works because in that context, it's used as an effective, specific and surgical tool that, that allows you to go from point A to point B with no gap. So, I, I mean, in context, life is a performance art. And you know, tools like Agile help you to help you to take you know, take take that art into a different vector. You're able to use different paint colors, different tools, different sound. You know what I'm saying? You're you're able to bring different things into it because you've expanded your your, your range, if you will. Um, and yeah, totally. I can see that, and I can also see where then the the connection here to some of the Gangier education and consumer education comes in in just trying to increase the vocabulary or increase the awareness That's behind the me. effects, flavor, aroma. Yeah, I think that before the Gangier program, I was definitely regularly consuming. I was deep in the cannabis industry, loving loving the industry and kind of where we are so far. But I had I mean, not actually on it as well. I would imagine. I mean, I mean, I would imagine that prior to the Gangier experience. You could still speak pretty knowledgeably on cannabis in, in, in a broad in a broad array of things. Yeah, I think I was relatively well read there. I had tried I had cultivated in Denver, I'd created some hash for a while, tried some home cultivation and things like that. But I wasn't really looking at individual effects. That's something that I really took away. You know, like I was medicated or I would consume, roll a blunt, take a bong hit, and be good to go. And then I think the Ganjie program helped to take a look at that from more of a connoisseurship perspective or try to look at it from a um, more of like an in- point of intrigue, not like, okay, now I've, I've consumed, let's go on with the next task, but more like, okay, now that I have, like, how's that different? Where's the effects coming from or how's it feeling? It added, if effectively, it added another dimension to your cannabis experience. Yeah, and, I think you know, that's I, a good way. I, and although I am a, I mean, I am a huge Dr. Who fan, don't get me wrong. And I don't want to get all timey-wimey, but, um, you know, if you think of dimensions of perception, all right, we've got sensory perception that, that, that's you know, kind of happening in the here and now. But if you take that a step back into your head, the way that you perceive your cannabis experience now is, I, I would arguably say, probably two or three levels deeper as far as depth of understanding and what you're looking at. I mean, you, you, you get a bud in your hand now beyond, you know, beyond just looking at, you know, kind of, kind of cursory glance and looking at the trim, how, you know, look, looking at the density of the bud, how, you know, how, how's the color look, what trichome coverage, et cetera. I mean, a lot of that's, you can snapshot that, you know, you can look at that and go, Ooh, that's good. Give it a sniff. You're like, Hey, I like that. <laughs> but yeah. now just trying to see that whole supply chain roll backwards or like I mean, imagine where it came from. You're, you're looking at the bud, you're, 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 chest, you're checking the spring back on it now. You're starting to think about the cure, you, you know, based on, you know, based on that quick sniff you took, you're, 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 you're thinking about whether it's persistent or not. You're starting to go, that, you know, is that hanging around in my nose or was it a quick hit? You know, was it, was, was it a, you know, was it a one and done? Um, you know, you're, you're the, 
you're asking more whys, and I, I don't know if in, in, in any of the, in, in the agile stuff that you, they were talking about the five whys, but you know those are, those right, are right. Those, I, I always had to laugh when they'd have us teaching these uh, leadership initiatives or development initiatives because I mean I, I was certified to teach like Franklin Covey stuff at one point, um, but none of these cats are are inventing a damn thing, you know the five whys, what, you know whatever variation on the theme you want to talk about. They're just reframing things that are pretty much common sense, makes sense to all of us. And when it's presented to us in a new way, we go, oh, hell, now I get it. Shit, yeah. It's like the first time you understood algebra. Yeah, yep. Or like learning the rules of a game. You know, if you're watching a board game or something or watching someone play a, a computer game, it just seems like chaos. But then you sit down and learn the rules of that game or the guidelines or how to talk about it. And suddenly, you know, okay, I, I know exactly what raid we're in or, or how this is working. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it, it's like the, you know, and, and again, they're, 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 cannabis brings another dimension into the game, though, because of effects. You know, you, you, you've talked about the connoisseurship thing a couple of times. And, you know, to, and, and I'm, keep in mind, I'm random as hell. I, I, I've kind of ascribed to the Eddie Izzard school of conversational kung fu, which means you start in one place, you go in a big circle, face a lot of directions at various points in time and try to end up in the same place at the end. Yeah, if listeners haven't realized, I typically ask a single question on these interviews, and we just tangent out into we everything riff. else. Yeah, so all good there, man. I I, I dig it. <laughs> but you know, the thing is with you know with cannabis connoisseurship, think about okay, think about beer and wine as examples. You know, beer and wine have absolute sensory gustatorial experiences that are part of that that are part of the enjoyment of of, of a great product. And they will get you drunk, no doubt about it, okay? You consume enough of them, you're going to be drunk. But there's really not a lot of differences in drunk. I mean, you know, a whiskey drunk, I usually have to punch them in the face because they get fucking mean. But yeah. other than that, there's, there's not, I mean, drunk is drunk. I mean, you're, it's levels. It's, I'm kind of drunk, I'm, whoa, I'm drunk, I'm, has anybody seen my underwear, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's world of definitely... difference with cannabis, Right, right. As much as you could diagnose the nuance of like the grain bill in different whiskeys or in, in creating rye versus a whiskey. That, that's a gustatorial experience. That is not that is not an effect. Yeah, like you, you, you're sitting there sipping that. Uh, it's going to be the same feeling as the prior night and the next night and the next night. And that consistency kind of, I think, moved the public away from looking at some of these things as a as a point of um, change as a point of potential change, you know, just expecting that utility or almost commodification of the effect. Some of it's because it requires a little bit of effort, dude. I mean, think about this as a species, we've gotten pretty friggin' lazy. Um, you know, we're, we're used to being, you know, we're used to being spoon fed mass media hype, you know, um, or, you know, the coolest thing is whatever they told us the coolest thing is this week. And, you know, we've been conditioned to that. I mean, that's the same reason the stigma has hung around as long as it has. Because we've been conditioned to believe it. Yeah, it's not surface level at this point anymore. Yep. It's been like it's a, been covered by other sediments and it kind of forms the bedrock of everything. Effective medication requires personal investment. I mean, you, you, you have to you, you have to spend I mean, candidly have to spend a little bit of time figuring some stuff out. And that doesn't mean you have to become a ganjier to do your to take care of your meds. It does mean you have to connect with you know, either do the research in, in reputable sources. Or, you know, ideally connect with somebody who can, who can, who can guide you to those sources and, and help you find the specific, instead of you having to wade through all of it yourself, if they can guide you to it, you know, and that's part of what the Ganji's role is. Kind of starting to build that bridge or be a few beacon lights in the fog, uh, you know, a lighthouse on the coast. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I, I mean, as, you know, as, as, the, as the landscape starts to unfold with psychedelics, as an example, you know, oh, there, there, there's going to be tremendous opportunities for, for folks, as, and, and guide is a great term there. They're going to be absolute, you know, they're going to be professional psychedelics, um, you know, psychologists that are involved with it. But, you know, that's also one of those landscapes where there's going to be, I mean, I, by, you know, genetically, I, I'm part Cherokee and part Italian. So, you know, I'll, I'll make you an offer you can't understand. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and I know intuitively that the... You know, the, the, the call towards, and I, I don't want to sound any crazier than I am, but that, that, that call towards shamanism, that, that call towards a spiritual path has been something in my life that has, you know, that has been present since I was a teenager. And that's yeah. probably why I didn't go to medical school. I mean, hell, I, I had a partial scholarship to Johns Hopkins. Hmm. Okay. So really had to 
how to take a different direction or take your own way, find your own path. There. It was, it I was, think, yeah, it was nut up or shut up time. Yeah. Yeah. On, on the psychedelics front, man, I, I, I'm optimistic. I feel very positive about that becoming more mainstream. I definitely dabbled in, uh, in the psychedelic realms for a, a while and I've not, not so much these days, but I, they're I'm gonna not, have to uh, be, they're going to have to be careful and they're going to have to be very mindful with the guardrails for it. You know, exactly. Because, because the, That's my concern. It's just too easy to go just rocketing off yeah, the, yeah, the I mean, street. You know, <laughs> case in point, and, and I, I'm not trying to put somebody, I'm not trying to put anybody on front street. So I'm going to, I'm going to generalize this, this part of the conversation, <laughs> yeah. but my, uh, you, you know, so, somebody who's very important to me, um, deals with PTSD. And unfortunately, they are in a situation where their, you know, their, their livelihood precludes any cannabis use. And um, yeah. because of that, you know, they, they more or less have turned to ethanol as a solution. And it, it's not. It's not ever. And, you know, they're very excited about the idea of psychedelics, especially, you know, psilocybin as a, a microdosing, notably, for dealing oh, with yes. it. But here's the yeah. challenge. You know, and, and I mean, I... Personally, I, I have a pretty damn decent bit of psych, personal experience with psychedelics from the time. I mean, that was honestly that was that was the other thing I truly, truly loved besides cannabis. I just, you know, I mean, psychedelics are something you, you can altering be the fire. reality. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I used to think about it kind of like uh, I want to walk next to the abyss. I don't want to look in it, but I'm going to walk next to it. I'm going <laughs> to. And I'm going to feel those vibes and really take that message home. I, you know, and I got honest, dangerously close a few times. It feels like <laughs> I, I, I agree, but you know, th those are those are some of the those experiences are some of what taught me um, who I am and and, yeah. and priorities. I mean, they're honestly those are part of the you know th those those experiences are probably part of the reason that I'm a terrible businessman. Um, I'm, I'm an exceptional human being, in my opinion, and I've been told so by others. And I, I try to I try to I just really try to be the person that my dogs think I am. But that's a good mission we should all try to try to accomplish. I'm a terrible <laughs> businessman. Um, I, I tend to value human beings more than I value currency in general. Yeah, I've seen that uh, a, a similar approach from folks that came through the uh, kind of psychedelic underbelly, you know, get into getting into the product management side. I've been in companies that were making a product that's supposed to do a thing. And as the product manager, I realize it's not. So I start a whole path towards fixing it and trying to rectify that identity crisis. Lo and behold, you know, other stakeholders, board members, people with the money, they don't really care for that parity. And it, it, I've seen the head butting there. I think it could come from microdosing or from some other experiences, just kind of opening up the purview and like connecting more with humanity and the world, things you know, like that. My, my, my biggest concern with the, whole, with the advent of the, uh, of the psychedelics and microdosing without, without getting too far down the rabbit hole is Specifically, if people are getting access to a tool without any information on how to use that tool effectively or any guidance or support in using that tool effectively, it's going to cause more problems, not fewer. Yeah, and that's where I have a hard time sounding like super positive about the industry. But I, I mean, I am optimistic and I have really good feelings about it, but I, I worry. Oh, no, I'm totally, about I'm totally the, conflicted about it. You know, my inner fringes. child is like, woohoo, shrooms! And, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and my inner adult is like, oh, yeah, that. Mm. I can just go south for people. And I mean, I, see, seeing the party scene and the bass music scene right now is like a kind of a, a modern revamp of like Woodstock. It, people think that they're living in this psychedelia world. It, and I, it's it, gone. At times, it's wonderful. I can't, I'm, I can't speak higher about it. But at times, it is a little insane. You know, I, like someone is on like 10 hits of acid and two points of molly. And then they're eating handfuls of shrooms and running through the forest. And it's like... This is a very great experience for you, I'm sure, but it could potentially be just devastating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, on on a side note, I I, I recently saw some, I, and it was just kind of a blurb, but there's a there's a group out there that is, if I'm not mistaken, and it's kind of being done on a sacrament level, so that you know they've got some, you know, there, there's some legitimacy, I believe, to what they're doing, but they're actually feeding uh, psilocybin mushrooms, I believe, a uh, an organic form of DMT to get a uh, a silomethoxin compound. I, and again, I, you know, don't, don't quote me on that because I, I, I'd have to source it before I'd be willing to, you know, before I'd be willing. But I mean, it's like, holy crap. I mean, why would you put your shrooms on steroids? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a one up right there, man. And that's the, the, in, the like kind of the, the curiousness and that, that constant competition of humanity. Like we will discover whatever that Uber psychedelic is that combines, you know, 
ergo with the fungus of psilocybin and somehow is buffed up with DMT. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if I'm, it's already on the way. I'm a big believer way. in balance um, in general. I mean, it, 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 it's going to be an interesting decade going forward from here. And, and I don't, you know, yeah. I, don't, I mean, you know, the, the next 10 years are going to be interesting period, I think. But you know, the, one thing about it is like odd that how can a whole industry be built on psychedelics with the consumption patterns typically being, you know, maybe you want to no jump erratic. in, splash around on Friday. It, well, and it, maybe you'd microdose for a few months, but you're not going to be like splashing around every day, well, right? <laughs> the, the, I don't know. I mean, the, the thing is, you're looking at it from a standpoint of a, a, of a wellness perspective and coming at it from, I mean, you're, you're, you're basically kind of coming at it from your... You know, the same the same things that brought you into the Ganja program. What you know? How do we how do we use this to help people? Um, you know, wh what are some safe parameters for it? You know, and what's a reasonable vector to bring you know, to to making this accessible? But that's not the corporate approach. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the corporate approach is where's that money? And then the you know, consumer approach is going to be like, how can I get how can I get jaded here? Pull up that anchor and fly away. <laughs> and I mean, I'll, I'll bullshit aside, Rob. You know, part of our you know part of our job as Ganjas um, is is providing is bridging that gap you know is is, is you know, right kind of understanding that experience or understanding both perspectives and being a little Canada bit of that swamp middle tours. piece <laughs> yeah we'll get you through the gators to the other side where the crawfish boils happening folks it'll be all yeah. right <laughs> get you through the mids up to the over to the high terpene flower and outdoor <laughs> absolutely you know and, yeah, it's, and, a, it's and it's you know it's going to be a slow process. It is. I mean, I, I'm, I know like some projects I'm working on right now, I, I've, I've kind of taken a step back and I'm working on creating a, uh, a wellness journal template that, that I can, that, that I can share with folks. I mean, I, you know, I work with a lot of folks in, locally and, 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 and across country as far as, you know, patients. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, anybody that I have conversations with, especially if they're, um, if they're a little, if they're a little less informed about cannabis, and they're like, you know, I just want whatever's got the strongest THC. If they're amenable to a conversation, some people don't want to hear it. Some people are just like, yeah, just give me what I want and shut up. It's and not always fine. the right time. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, all I'm, good. I'm not here to live their life for them. That's fine. If that, you know, and it, when, when the, you know, when they're ready, we'll have the conversation. When they, you know, and, and when, when they notice that the guy that was listening to me is is doing twice as good as they are, they'll go, hey, what'd you give him? Well. Funny ass. Let's start with a little CBD, pumpkin. Uh, <laughs> but it, you know, it's pathing, and you and you can't force it. And if you're going to be true to who you are, you, you, you give people the space to, you know, to to, to 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 come into, not not open the door and say, "Get your ass in here." Yeah, and I think even I forget that talking about connoisseurship and trying to approach cannabis from this like different perspective that it's really not the common approach right now that's not the general that's not how the general public is looking at cannabis so you know acting as that change agent that was what they would call it in a corporate world is um it's a definitely a flag to take up uh, that, that's a, that's a beautiful point when you say change agent um you know we that that was a that was a huge huge initiative with panera um you know we we uh we we went through all. There was a lot of change management uh, development, and, and it, it was a it was a cascade process. You know, we, we we were bringing it down to the managers because when I want to say it was when we were starting the drive through and delivery portions of the business, um, that was just throwing a lot of people just a huge curveball. And when we started bringing some of those pieces into the cafes, we really did have to go in there and pre fertilize. You know, we basically had to put spiritual pre-emergent down. You know, <laughs> you had to want it. <laughs> you know, because it, we, you had, it, it's about helping people understand why they want it. Okay, right. I because mean, I know, I, I mean, I know why they want it. I, you know, I've, I should I sat in the meetings. I know what the advantages are. I know it's going to make my damn life easier. I know it's going to make your life easier and your life easier and your life easier. But right now, we got to move all this shit and clean some messes up to get to the easier part. You know, we yeah, got to get through the gators. Humans don't like change. Yeah. No, we don't. We don't. <laughs> but we, we I, I mean, here's the thing. We, you know, forward is the path. You, you, you got to keep going. Yep. Obstacle is the way. You know, you run into something, just really run and do it harder until you're climbing over. Like that kind of stoicism approach is pretty, pretty good. You know, but well, yeah, we, I mean, we're, we're pretty clever stoics, though. I mean, I'm not just going to run into it more than twice. If it doesn't, you know, if I don't chip a piece of it off the second time I hit it, I'm, I'm, I'm working on a, another vector. 
start start building a ladder. <laughs> Either that or you know if you if you spill enough milk on the ground and you get some really voracious cats, they'll tunnel right under that shit. <laughs> Okay. some more life wisdom here from this episode <laughs> yeah and i think that the brands in general both in the industry and outside of the industry like panera and other companies are are entering a new potentially a new stage with with online education easily online advertising folks are kind of inundated by quick online bs advertising We're it feels like there's a push for, for authenticity it. Do you think that there's room for authenticity in how brands present themselves there? I think it's critical. I mean, I mean it, well, and, and let, me, let me qualify that statement. I think it's critical for any brand that wants to be sustainable with integrity. Um, because if, if, you're, if you're not authentic about what you're doing, let's, let's use the, and, and I, I don't want to cause any, can we talk about the raw guy? You're right. Yeah. You know, quite a, a train I mean, wreck. Well, and, and, and that kind of speaks to what you, you situationally. Here's a cat who was perceived as the most humble, grassroots, passionate, authentic guy in the OG weed world. I mean, everybody knew this cat. You know, and then come to find out that he had leveraged his position, well, allegedly legend, leveraged his position to not only steal ideas, but also, you know, bankrupt other, you know, bankrupt other brands, destroy their integrity, destroy their reputations. I mean, destroy their businesses. Yeah, that's a bull in a china shop right there. You know, and, and that, that goes against everything, everything that the cannabis space needs. You know, if, if, if we're not collaborating, we're, we're killing each other. Yeah, and I think that's another thing that Ganjie program brought was just the collaboration with these like-minded folks. Um, everyone kind of has that cannabis guy or gal in their group or in their circle who's a little more into it. And I think, I think what the program did was bring us all together in the same room to just kind of talk shop and uh, make this little, uh, well, uh, little stage of, of goodness here where everyone's kind of like-minded on that front. We're kind of like the cultural equivalent of mycelial nodes. Um, you know, if you, if you think of the energy continuum, the cosmos, whatever, is a giant, you know, energy network, if you will, a mycelial, a mycorrhizae, a mycelial network, right. you know, and, and to an extent, we are all connected. In the, in the, in the context of the cannabis space, you know, Gangiers can, can kind of act as those centralized nodes where their communities, their local communities, can, you know, can coalesce to find the things that they need from that space. I mean, and, and you know, much like a, a, a nutrient node in the mycorrhizae, when it's signaled by a plant, hey, I need iron, dog. And, and it tells the nematodes, hey, if y'all happen to be rolling around them nails over there, if you could pick up some of that shit and bring it back, I will trade you some really good sugar for it. And then we'll be cool. I mean, and that's the transaction that happens. I mean, it's, it's, it's probably a little more complicated than that. I don't know if they just go out to the iron. To the, we're going out to the nail yard. We'll be right back, boys. I don't think yeah. it's quite that, you know, quite that cut and dry. Yeah, same story, a few more chemical signals, but yeah, no, it is it is cut and dry though. If you think about society as kind of a mycelial network, or those our ideas being able to perforate and spread through that that same means. You know, in, in the context of you know in, in the context of the, the the network of the Gangier thing, you know, kind of what I continue to see, at least especially in the classes, is better and better understanding of the network. Um, we're, we're starting to see a lot better collaboration going on there. I mean, it's part of the reason I was, I, I was really thrilled when you, when you hollered at me about, uh, you know, about doing the interview because, you know, I mean, candidly, I'm just a guy. Um, I, I, you know, I, I know a guy and I know some other guys. I mean, I mean for, for what it's worth, my single claim to fame is I met Frank Sinatra in the 90s. Okay, that's a little more than just a guy. That's a, just a guy who met Frank Sinatra. You know, uh, but, but all that being said, I've had some crazy ass life experiences. I've done some really stupid things and, and lived to tell the tale. I mean, that's, that's part of what getting old's about. You know, you survive. That's some wisdom there. <laughs> yeah. When you survive the tales. I used to look at all the, like these older hippies and like older cats that would still be in the music scene and just think like, I wanted to be like these guys. Cause I saw that like, as you aged, you either like fell out or got in trouble or, you know, had some, tr had issues along the way. So I wanted to be one of the old gray ones with their dreads falling out, standing on the back of the, <laughs> at the back of the arena. 
hopefully I'm still on that path. <laughs> I mean, you know, Rob, the, I, for what it's worth, you know, the, the one thing I'm, I, I really continue to be truly grateful, or, uh, grateful for in my path is all of these crazy, you know, e even my bad decisions have led me along a path where I've been fortunate enough to connect with truly exceptional humans. I mean, I, I've got, you know, I've got folks that, you know, I, I have friends of mine that we met at Emeralds 30 years ago. And we're still, you know, we, we, we're still in contact on, on, on a semi-regular basis. And, you know, th these are the relationships, you know, these connections that you form. And, you know, I, I kind of keep coming back to the whole cultivation and planting seeds thing because that, that's, you know, that, that is the metaphor I live in. Right. It's just a nested, it's a nested multi-use metaphor at this point when it comes to spreading that knowledge and, it, and trying to connect. It's, it's the Gangier path, my man. We, 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 we are planting seeds. We are building relationships. We are cultivating you know, we're cultivating knowledge for folks. We're right, right, really, and and in some cases, even showing them where there's whole libraries of knowledge where maybe they didn't realize it, uh, or after they've Absolutely. gotten past that stage of fun and um, and overconsumption. In, in quotes, I'll say, because there's everyone is different on their levels of consumption. Or introducing each other to those things. I mean, I, I, some yeah. of the, you know, some of the you know, we you know, case in point, one o'clock. We we do a you know, we do that continuing education call every Monday. Um, you know, and, and I'll tell you, some of the guest speakers they've had in there have been phenomenal. I'm not positive. I think uh, I, I think they're doing a, a re, is it a regenerative farming or sports medicine today? I, I, I'd have to go back and look. But there's one coming up with Ricky Williams that I'm just, I, I'm, I'm so excited about. I can't stand it because I'm, I'm a New Orleans Saints fan, you know. Yeah, that'll be sweet. <laughs> I and mean, I'm uh, actually going to, there's a Chamber of Cannabis event here in Las Vegas. Uh, shout out to the Chamber of Cannabis. We're trying to get them on a future episode. Um, but Ricky oh, Williams cool. is coming out to talk with the whole group and the Chamber and kind of talk about his journey, um, kind of removing the stigma as well. He ran, I, seriously ran into it uh, oh, with big the time. NFL. <laughs> big time. I mean, and, and that's, yeah, I, I want to say, you know, he, I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for the way that he has, you know, the, the way that he has stood his ground. Um, you know, that, that was a guy who took a step back and, and, and kind of looked at his values and what was important to him and what, and, and what he wasn't okay with. And, you know, made some, made some pretty fucking hard decisions based on that. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, and with, with everything on the table and the decisions he had to make, it's, uh, it's, a, it's another professional thing to just quit a job. Uh, if, it's that, if it's a high-paying NFL kind of job, as well, it's a, a whole nother can of worms. I think that's a big kind cliff of, to leave off of. Yeah, for sure, man. And what we were talking about before with some of the psychedelia, I think, and and cementing your your virtues or what you find valuable, um, it's it's those kinds of decisions that I think that like a little microdose or a little bit of more th of a thoughtful evening would really steer you in the right direction. That's where I, I hope that industry is going to push it towards Rob, that that that's really a great connection to make when you when you when you i mean when you segue directly from you know a, a microdose to a thoughtful evening um you know at the end of the day the microdose is simply a tool um it, it really is about helping us as human beings to be more mindful aware and deliberate about what we're doing because you know you, you can't ever you know any 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 decision as long as you're willing to accept the consequences for it isn't necessarily a bad one. Um, you know, it, it might not be, the consequences might not be ideal. But if you're willing, as, you know, as a human, if you're willing to own, own your consequences, from there you get lessons and, and, and hopefully don't repeat yep. those mistakes. You go on Knowledge making exciting new mistakes. <laughs> yeah. Right. You get, and can build up that confidence in, in choosing for yourself as well. I think that um, it's interesting that the, the industry itself has sort of stepped away from that, like cannabis use as a journey paradigm almost because that can be inapproachable for like a busy like nine to fiver who's never been in issues. the cannabis industry yeah been issues 100 percent, dude it, it's, it's like <laughs> oh that sounds like a lot of fucking work i don't know about all that so I mean, just eat these gummies you'll be fine <laughs> well, and, and, you know, you, i love you that yes i mean that that's some of some of the folks i work with it, it almost kind of comes down to that and, and i mean when i'm when i'm talking to them i mean i i, I we'll have the conversation about why but I know, I know damn good and well that it's going in one ear and out the other. And they're, and they're nodding. And I'm like, okay, so here, here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get your CBD tank topped up. We're going to get you on a regular CBD regimen and start there. I need you to take one of these a day. We're going to talk again in about in, in 14 days. And, you, and you, sometimes I, I have to use that kind of approach. And my, my results continue to be excellent. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, 
right. dealing with you folks like my mom. You gotta meet them where they are. My mom's 85. She, I love her to death, but she, she was born in Kansas. Nice. She's, she's from Chanute. Um, I mean, you know, we, we lived in Topeka for a little bit when I was a, when, when I was a kid, but um, here's what I will say about folks that seem to have, you know, Kansas dirt in their blood. They can be very, very stubborn when they set their heels. Oh, yeah. It's definitely part of the family and the state traits there. <laughs> yes. Yes. It, it's been an interesting journey with mom, for sure. But uh, that, that perseverance, though. Well, you know, if it's coming from a place of authenticity and sincerity, compassion, love, care for the human race, whatever the hell you want to call it, whatever label you choose to put on it, if it's coming from a real place, you know, it, it, that, that persistence will generally win. I mean, there's, there's a reason water cuts rock. Right, right. I think that's an excellent, that's an excellent note to, to wrap up this call today, David. And thank you so much for coming on the show today and, and dropping some wisdom on us. I think you're, you're much more than just a guy or we're all just that guy because I've really enjoyed, you know, learning from you and, you know, looking at different parts of the industry together here. Where can folks find out more about you online or connect with you on Talk Ganjie and, and the cannabis journeys? Honestly, probably the best place to, best place to track me down right now, I'm, I'm currently planting my own seeds and kind of getting my ducks in a row with several projects. It would, would probably be through Instagram, uh, Fog Buddha on Instagram. It would probably be the easiest way to connect. Or, or if they wanted to hit me up via email, I'm always, up, you know, or LinkedIn. Um, I'm, I'm, I am always open to conversation. Um, you know, especially with you, you know, with human beings. Um, I, I can tell you this, Rob. I appreciate you. Like, I, I don't think you have any idea how much I appreciate you as a human being. The opportunity to connect with you when we were in California really helped kind of get me centered and allowed me to be successful. Um, and I, I truly appreciate having had the opportunity to meet you in the first place and the chance to reconnect. And the one thing I will ask is this: um, sometime in the next two weeks, how about we hang out on Discord and say? Yeah, we definitely need to get definitely need to get that in. I I can agree. We'll get something on the map. Deal. Yeah. Thank you, David. Man, appreciate it. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Apartment One Thirteen podcast. For more information about the show and our range of services, visit apt113.com. We offer cannabis operation, consulting, agile product management, and connoisseurship services. With over a decade of experience in the cannabis industry, Apartment 113 is here to help.